You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Song from our study on the gospel according to Matthew. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. If you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 to 17. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 to 17. We have been walking through the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the accounts of Jesus's life here on earth. And we've been slowly working our way through each section of it. Matthew chapter nine, verse 14 to 17. So Jesus is uh, doing a lot of interesting things in this passage. I'll remind us kind of where we are in the context of Matthew. Two weeks ago, we talked about how When Jesus came, he did something really surprising. He went and he called a man named Matthew, the author of this story, who was a tax collector to follow him. So a tax collector is like a really bad person. At least back then, everyone, you know, they would look at a tax collector and call him a huge sinner. And and the tax collectors only hung out with like really rough people, like not church people, not like you guys, like, you know, the people who wouldn't be at church today because they're too hungover from the night before partying. Right. Well, some of you are like, well, that's me right now. Okay. Um, Welcome. (laughs) Jesus came for you. All right. That's, I mean, that's basically what it is. Jesus came and the, the really religious people came up to Jesus and said, why are you hanging out with these sinners? All right. Why are you hanging out with these tax collectors? And then Jesus would go and not only hang out with them, but then he would eat with them and party with them and, and eat and feast with them. That's what Jesus was doing in the section before what we did. So all the religious people came up and said, why are you eating with them? Why are you feasting with them? Why would you hang out with these sinners? And Jesus said, don't you know, first of all, you're a sinner, right? But I came for sinners, right? And now another group of religious people came and they asked Jesus another question. And so this is where we pick up the story. Matthew chapter nine, verse 14, Jesus, then the disciples of John came to him. This is John the Baptist. His disciples came saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the, from the garment and worse uh, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins will burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins. So both are preserved. All right. If I could choose to skip this one, I probably would have, because this is like a really weird one to start, especially for our new sixth graders. But then this is just a weird, a difficult passage for any of us to understand, because there are lots of things going on here that we as, you know, American people in this century wouldn't understand about a lot of the things Jesus is talking about. You see, John's disciples, they were holy people. John the Baptist was like a really holy prophet. And so he had followers who also wanted to be holy like John. 
And so the holiest people, the most religious people at the time were these people and also Pharisees who tried their best to follow God's laws. And so in the laws of God, the Old Testament, they, God commanded his people to fast one day a year during the day of atonement. Now, fasting is this thing for some of us who don't know, because a lot of us don't know what fasting is. A lot of us in this room have never fasted before, and which is, that's fine, but this is what fasting is. Fasting is basically not eating food and sometimes not even drinking anything, like stopping eating and drinking for a period of time so that you can focus on prayer. That's basically what fasting is. It's giving something good up so that you can focus on something even greater. That's what the purpose of fasting is. People would fast when they really wanted to get God's attention, right? When something really terrible was happening in their lives and they really needed God to hear. And so they're like, you know what, God, to get your attention, I'm not going to eat so that you'll like pay attention to me. That's kind of what fasting is about. It's about when there's something really crazy happening in your life and you need to get God's attention, right? And so you fast or you really desperately need God in your life to show up. And so you, you, you fast. That's what fasting is, is about. And in the Old Testament, there was one day, the day of atonement, where God told all of his people to fast. Now, these Pharisees took that to the next level. They were like, you know what? Instead of just fasting one day a year, we're going to fast every week. And you know what? If fasting one day a week isn't enough, we're going to fast twice a week because we want to be that holy. We want to just make sure that God real, that we get all of our God points in right now. And so we're going to fast twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. So they're sitting there fasting twice a week. That's crazy. How many times do you guys fast? Right? I bet, I don't think there's anyone in this room that probably fasts twice a week. And so these guys are doing that. John's disciples are also doing that. And then Jesus shows up and his disciples, you know how many times they fast? They never fast. They don't fast at all. They're supposed to be these holy, Jesus is claiming to be, you know, someone who's teaching the, the truths of God, but his followers never fast. In fact, they do the opposite. Instead of fasting, which is withholding from food, they're feasting with sinners and tax collectors. They're having parties with sinners and eating their food all the time. They're eating and partying while these religious people are starving. And so if you're one of John's disciples and you're over here, like not eating and fasting and being all holy, and then you look over there at Jesus's team and they're like parting with sinners, how would you feel? Right? You'd be like, wait, why are we doing this? <laughs> right? That's exactly what they asked. They're like, they went up to Jesus and they're like, why, why do we fast while you guys don't? Right? Like, why, what's going on here, Jesus? So that's a good question. Why do they fast like that? Why do any of us do religious things, right? Why would they fast so much more than what was required of them, of the law? There's something in all of us, all human beings that wants to prove to God that we are worthy. Not just to God. If you're not, if you don't believe in God, there's something in us that always wants to prove how much we're worth. And so we do things to prove to people that we're worth something, that we're worthy, 
right? This happens in religion. This happens just in normal life. This happens with our jobs. This happens with our, us and our parents. We want to prove to our parents that we're worth something. We want to prove to our friends that we're worthy. We want to prove to our boss. We want to prove to our world. We want to prove to Instagram that we are worthy of something. And so we'll do things and that is beyond what is required of us to prove to the world that we're worthy. And so we'll do all sorts of crazy things. The Pharisees wanted to prove to God that they were righteous, that they were good. Sure, we sin, but we want to do more righteous things to prove that we're more righteous than we are sinners. So instead of just fasting once a year, we're going to fast a hundred and what's two times a week? That's a hundred and, and what is it? Eight, 108 times a week, right? We want to prove that we're no, wait, 52, 104. Yeah. Okay. 104 times, oh, you know, a year. They try to earn this holiness before God or maybe in front of other people. They want to show other people how much more righteous they are. And that's what we want. We do that too. We, we do things to try to prove to people or to our friends that we're a good person or that we're a successful person or that we are worthy. So we do things. Maybe you don't fast, but maybe there's other things that you do, right? You do something that you think is worthy, but then you need other people to see it. You know what I'm saying? Like you make an amazing meal and then you have to like take a picture of it to show others so that you can make the people be like, oh, you're such a good cook, right? You put on, you get, I don't know, you get new shoes and you have to show everybody so that they can validate you, tell you that you're worthy. You get a new job and you have to post it up, right? Or, you know, you do anything. We do anything. You clean your room and you're like, ha, look, look, I took, a, I cleaned my room. We take a picture of that, right? Hashtag organized, right? Like, I don't know. Like everything we do, we're, we're trying to get validated for the things that we do. We're trying to gain worth. We want someone to tell us that we're, that we're, we're good. We're, and that's what, I, I don't know, the heart behind why some of these people, they wanted that from God or maybe from people around. And so they fast and they pray and they do all of these things. But then they see Jesus and his disciples not doing any of those things. They're like, why? Why aren't you guys even trying to be worthy before God? Why aren't you even trying to be holy? Another reason why you fast, why people fast is because you're fasting because out of mourning, out of sadness, when great sorrow happens in life, when something horrible happens, you fast. When someone dies that you love, do you feel like eating? No, like, right? You're mourning and you fast. That's what fasting, sometimes you're grieving and therefore you abstain from food. That's what people did in those olden days. When someone would die, then they, would, they wouldn't eat for days just to, out of their sorrow and mourning over the loss of something really important to them. That's what fasting was also for. It was either for prayer or for mourning and loss. And so that's why the Israelites fasted as well. Because there was a, something to mourn. And what they were mourning was that the Israelites lost the presence of God. They have lost their way. They disobeyed God. And so the presence of God left Israel. And now the people of Israel were taken over by their enemies. So they were in a place where they couldn't feel the presence of God, where the enemies have conquered over them and they have sinned and fallen away. 
And so they were mourning and fasting, waiting one day for God to come back to save them, that God would return to their people and restore them. But until that day, they were waiting and fasting and mourning over their sin. And so while they were waiting and fasting for God to return, they're asking Jesus and his disciples, why aren't you guys mourning and fasting and waiting for God to return to save us? And Jesus says something crazy. Jesus says, can, he starts talking about a wedding. They're like, why don't you guys fast like us? And then Jesus goes and starts talking about, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The bridegroom, by the way, for some of you, that's like the, the husband, that's the, that's the, uh, the groom, right? Why would Jesus start talking about a wedding all of a sudden? Right? What wedding? Did Jesus ever get married? If you read the Bible, did Jesus ever get married? No, he didn't get married. He was a single guy his whole life. So take heart, single people. All right. If you're single and you're, you're like, I'm never going to get married. Well, you're more like Jesus. All right. <laughs> than than me, than I ever can be. All right. So that's a side note. But Jesus was single. He never got married. What wedding is Jesus talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a promise that God made to his people in Hosea chapter two, verse 19. And God said this in Hosea, he said to Israel, I will betroth you. That means I will marry you. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know that I am the Lord. God made a promise to Israel. One day I will return and I will be your husband. I will bring you back and you will become mine again. That was a promise that God declared to Israel. I will make you mine. And Jesus is saying, there's no need for you to fast anymore and to mourn and to wait for God to return because guess what? He's here. God has returned and the wedding feast is about to begin. There, there's no need to, to, to wait or to be sad or to keep mourning and waiting for, the, for God to come because he's here. And what these guys don't recognize is the one who's speaking to them is the one they've been waiting for. That God has finally returned and his name is Jesus and they don't have to wait anymore. They don't have to sit there and feel their guilt anymore because Jesus has come to take them back and bring them back. And the promise of God has come and the wedding feast has begun. And so this is no longer a time of waiting and mourning. This is a time of celebration that new life has come. You see, back in those days, the wedding would begin like this. The man would go to the woman's family and he would have to talk to the woman's father and ask for permission. And he would ask for permission. And if the father approved to give his daughter to this man, then they would negotiate a bride price. He would have to pay a price for his daughter. He would have to pay with his money or his wealth to be able to obtain her hand in marriage. Now, I wish that was still the case today because then some guy would have to come to me and ask me for my price for my daughter 
which would be very, very high, right? <laughs> so, but that's what they had to do. He'd have to go and ask for her hand and he would have to pay the bridal price. And once he paid the full price for her hand, would he agree to let him marry her? And now basically they are in the eyes of the law. They are now betrothed. It's, it's almost the same as being married, but it's not finished yet. And the process has begun. And so now she belongs to him and he is now hers, but he does not take her right away. But the process has begun. He pays for her. She is now his. And then, um, and then he leaves. <laughs> okay. Then he leaves. They, he leaves to go prepare a place for her. And so that's where we are. We're in this place where God has come. Jesus Christ has come to take his bride, to take his bride back. And he comes to pay the price for her. And the price that he pays, he pays with his own life on the cross with his blood. And therefore, it is not a time to mourn. It's a time to celebrate because it's basically a wedding. The new life has begun and he himself will pay the price so, so for so many of us who are Christians, we need to realize your life as a Christian, most of our lives, we, we need to not be mourning, but we need to be celebrating because our life with Christ is celebration. The, our, he has come and he has paid the price. This is a time to celebrate. It's a time to feast. It's a time to eat. It's a time to have a good time. It's time to share in the joy of the celebration. How many of us today are waiting, are still waiting for life, still waiting for, for joy, still waiting to live in the fullness of God, right? So many of us are waiting to be alive, to come alive, maybe in the next season of life. So many of us are like, you know what? Once I finish high school, then I will really live for Jesus, right? Or, or maybe you're, or once I finish college, then I'll really come alive for God. Or for some of you, it's like, once I get my job, I'll really start to serve God. Or once I get this, I'll really start to serve. Once I get married, and it goes on and on and on, right? We're always waiting. Once I buy that new phone, then I can devote my time to Jesus, we're always waiting for something. We're always thinking if we get this next thing or if we obtain this one thing or if there's something that we're missing and if we just get that thing, then we can really be happy. Then we can really be alive. If these things happen, then I could start serving and living for God, a really living life. You're still waiting. Still waiting. But what Jesus is saying, guys, you don't need to wait anymore. I'm here. The celebration, life, eternal life begins with me. If you recognize that I'm here and I'm with you, then the wedding has begun. Amen. The fullness of God's presence can happen not tomorrow, but today in your life. The fullness of his power, the joy, the gratitude, the thanksgiving, all of the promises that God has for his people are not for later, but are for right now, are for today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time for your best life now, not later. So stop waiting to live. Stop putting things off. 
Stop waiting for another time for you to start living in the fullness of Jesus. Grab hold of it today. He gave to, he came to give you life and life abundantly. Not one day, not after you die, but right now. So let us join the wedding feast of the Lamb. Not one day, but right now. Amen. And so that's why Jesus and his disciples, they don't fast while Jesus is here. Because the guests of the wedding don't fast. They celebrate. Christians, you and I should be the most joyful people. Because our sins have been taken care of. We should be full of thanksgiving all the time because no matter what gets taken away from us in our lives, we have eternal life. We have forgiveness. We have the power of God, right? People should look at our life and they should ask, why are you always having a good time? Why are you always celebrating? Why are you always so thankful? And me, even though I have way more money than you, I'm so miserable, how come me, who's so much better looking than you, seems so much sadder than you? And you, and you can say, first of all, first of all, that's subjective, all right? <laughs> and second of all, you know, my joy has nothing to do with what people say about me, right? Because my whole life is a party. <laughs> what do you have to party about? Eternal life. Salvation. I'm part of the kingdom of God right now, not one day. Amen. The default of the followers of Jesus is feasting. Our default is feasting, not fasting. Our default, our, our default is thanksgiving, not wanting more. It's joy. So that's our default is celebration and fasting and joy. But once in a while, we do fast. See, Jesus says, there will be a time when my followers will fast. The day when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. Jesus says, one day my disciples won't see me physically forever because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave for a little while. And when I leave, then my followers will fast. What? That's weird. Why would you leave, Jesus? Like, well, if you understood back then how weddings worked, you would understand. This would make a lot of sense. So once the husband would ask the father and then pay the bride price and, the, and, the, and then the father and the husband, they would have a marriage contract, right? And then they would pour a glass of wine to, to seal the deal. That's just what they did. They would pour a cup that would seal the covenant of the marriage. Then the, the bridegroom would leave back to his father's home to build a place for his new bride. He would literally build a new room at his father's house so that he can bring his bride there to live one day. So he would go back to his father's house to prepare a place for her. And that would take about a year or however long this guy takes to build that place. And no one knew how long that was going to be. And whenever the father on this side said, okay, you're ready. Go get your wife. That's when he would come back to get his bride and bring her. And during that time was a time of waiting, a time of anticipation. And during this time, in, in the same way, one day Jesus would physically leave 
his disciples. And he did that. He went back to heaven after he died and rose again. And during this time, we are in that time right now where physically Jesus isn't here with us on earth, but we are waiting for him to return to us. And during these times, his followers, though we are celebrating, we are in this wedding mode. There are times when we are waiting for Jesus and there are times where things are going to be hard and we have tribulations and trials where we need to focus on prayer and focus on God. And that's when we fast. As Christians, there are times we fast. Because Jesus says in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, and when you fast in verse 17, but when you fast, Jesus is assuming that his followers will fast from time to time. But we don't always fast. We're not in a constant mode of sadness and depression and waiting. These are exceptional times when we really need to focus on God. There are times when you need to focus on God, when you need to get desperate for God. There are situations in your life or times when you want to pray for somebody so desperately that the Holy Spirit is going to call you to fast. Where you're going to spend the day you're like, I'm not going to eat and I'm just going to focus on God because you need something to change in your life. Or there's someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus yet. And so on their behalf, you're going to fast and you're going to pray. Those are the times when we fast. Or there's a huge decision in your life that you need to make and you're not sure what God wants you to do. And so because you want to honor God and do what he wants you to do, you fast. And you take a day or two and you don't eat and you're like, instead of eating, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. You're going to silence the desires of your flesh to amplify the desires of the spirit. That's why we fast. We don't fast as Christians. We don't fast to try to be more righteous. We don't fast to try to earn our salvation. We fast because we love God. We fast because we love people. And so we fast on their behalf so that we can pray for them and we can pray that God will help us to know him more. That's why we fast. But we have to remember as Christians, fasting is the exception. Celebration is our default. Amen. And then Jesus goes on and starts to talk about wine, new wine and new wineskins. Jesus says, you need to think about it differently, guys. I'm not just trying to give you, I'm trying to give you something brand new. The reason why we fast is completely different. There is a new thing that I'm doing. I'm not here to fix religion. I'm here to give you a whole new way of relating to God. You see, back then, here's how wine worked. You take wine and you would put it into a leather bag called a wine skin. And if that wine skin was new, it would be flexible. And then that wine would expand over time. And you needed a new flexible wineskin to expand with the wine. And then once that wineskin got old, it wouldn't be able to stretch any further. So if you put new wine into an old wineskin, it would burst. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm here to give you something that the old religion cannot contain. See, a relationship with Jesus is something that we cannot put into our old religious thinking. Here's what old religious thinking always tells us. Old religious thinking tells us that you have to earn your righteousness to God. It's the same thing as what the world tells you. You have to earn your worth. 
You have to earn your righteousness. You have every day you wake up and you need to earn your right to exist. You need to prove your worth, right? Every day you wake up, you are in the courtroom where you, you're the performance of that day. At the end of the day, you're going to get a verdict that says you were good or you were worthy or you were not good or you were not worthy or you were guilty or you were innocent, right? Every day. That's the way the world works. That's the way religion works. That's the way the world works. You have to prove your worth every day of your life. But Jesus says, I'm not here to give you a new way to prove your worth. I'm here to throw that all out and give you something brand new. And what I'm here to tell you isn't a new way to prove how worthy you are. I'm here to give you your worth. You don't have to prove your worth anymore. The new wineskin is that the moment you wake up, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are worthy already. In Christ Jesus, you are righteous already. In Christ Jesus, you are clean. You are innocent. You are already good. The verdict has been given before your day has even begun. That is what Jesus has come to give you. That's the new wineskin. You don't need to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to be righteous to be called righteous by God anymore. You are because Jesus Christ has given his righteousness to you through his grace. And you receive it not through your works, but just by faith. Amen. That's a whole new way of operating. You, if you are a Christian, you need to remember that's the new wineskin. I always forget that. How often do I wake up feeling like I need to earn this day? You know what I'm saying? Like how many times do I wake up where I look at my day and I'm like, oh man, I wasted my day or I did things I shouldn't have done and I'm so unworthy. Oh, I suck. I'm a terrible Christian. And I look at all these people around me and I look at them and I judge my life against their life. And then I feel all ashamed and guilty and unworthy. That's the old wineskins. Every time we're doing that, every time we're judging ourselves by putting up ourselves against other people's lives or other people's standards, we are back in the old wineskins. And Jesus is saying, don't put your life into old wineskins. Don't you realize you are new wine and you need to operate in the new wineskins, which is before you even woke up this morning, you were already deemed worthy. Before you did anything, God already said, well done, my good and faithful servant. That before you even woke up this morning, God says, my son, my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. But God, I didn't do anything yet. How, that doesn't even make sense. Exactly. That's the grace of God. And it's with that you wake up and it's out of that you operate. You serve God because he already approves of you. You pray and you seek his word because he already loves you and because you're righteous. You say no to sin, not because that's what makes you righteous. You say no to sin because you're already clean and because he gives you the power to do it. And that's why we do everything in our lives today, because we live in the new promise and the new righteousness and the new wineskins that Christ bought for us. And so let's live in it today. Let's pray. 
Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you were blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.